Hello, I'm Michael Serapio. Welcome to Profile. On May 6, 2023, people from across the Commonwealth and around the world witnessed a ceremony not seen in nearly 70 years. The coronation of a monarch, the king, and a new head of state for the United Kingdom and all the Commonwealth realms, including Canada. But Charles's coronation comes at a difficult time for the monarchy. Recent polls in this country reveal a population deeply divided about the institution, with a majority of Canadians expressing disapproval of Charles as king, his wife Camilla as queen, and some people even questioning whether Canada should remain a constitutional monarchy. It is a matter I discussed with the Governor-General herself when I sat down with Her Excellency Mary Simon at Rideau Hall in Ottawa. But our discussion began with the coronation itself. Excellency, thank you for taking the time. It's my total pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I, I want to begin our conversation uh, with Westminster and the coronation because obviously a historic event that few Canadians get to see in person. And here you are seeing this event. And to my understanding, as a child, you would watch royal events with your maternal grandmother. So what was it like to be in Westminster Abbey to, to witness it all? It was exciting. And uh, I felt very privileged that I was one of the few people from around the world that was able to witness this, the coronation of King Charles III. Uh, because in my lifetime and in many lifetime of Canadians, we haven't seen a coronation uh, in, in person. So, or, or even on television, mm -hmm. it's been 70 years. So this is a long period of time. The pageantry and the ceremony was pretty outstanding. And uh, it was really heartwarming to see so many Canadians attending the coronation as well. Mm -hmm. uh, did you think of your grandmother as you sat in Westminster Abbey? Oh, yes, I did. Uh, actually, it was not so much seeing it, it was hearing it because we didn't have television in the day when I was growing up. So my grandmother would uh, listen to the BBC if she could find it on shortwave. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and also she had a picture of the Queen and uh, she talked about how important uh, her Majesty was, and and uh, we learned quite a bit about her during the time I was growing up. Even though up north, you know, that we didn't have uh, television or even radio except the shortwave system, uh, so it was really important. It was nice to know how well the Queen, Her Majesty, was liked and adored by Canadians, including people in the North, like the Inuit adored the Queen. So having that history, that personal connection, the personal story that you had with your grandmother, did you ever imagine as a child that you would have this opportunity later on in life? Not at all. I, in fact, I never kind of, I never envisaged having a role of this type uh, during my uh, working career, uh, but as it evolved into a position where I had, you know, the kind of, exp of experience uh, that the, the government was looking for and an individual that had had extensive experience in different issues, I was very excited about the possibility of, of being the next governor general. Uh, and it was the first time an indigenous person was being considered 
So it was, uh, it was an exciting time, but I know I never envisioned <laughs> being in this position in my, even in my adult life, I, I, I didn't think it would happen. Mm -hmm. and, and yet here you were, uh, again, witnessing the coronation happening. And this might sound like a superficial question, I don't mean it to be, but I was wondering if you might talk about the outfit that you wore, because it was a choice filled with symbolism. Can you tell us about the outfit? Yes, so when I was um, invited to attend the coronation, I really wanted to wear something that represented my culture, my Inuit culture, and, um, and the fact that I was involved in many uh, years of sewing uh, garments for my children as well, living in the north. Uh, so I um, was told that this person that I know, uh, singer-songwriter, seamstress, mental health advocate, uh, was interested in, in uh, making a piece for me. I started talking to her and we just talked about the kind of uh, garment that would reflect the traditional Inuit uh, women's clothing, the, especially the amauti, which is a parka uh, that, where you carry the baby on your back. Uh, and the, the, the design of that would be important in, in, in my garment and also to reflect uh, my um, coat of arms. I was very involved in the, in the creation of my coat of arms because it reflects my culture and my family. I really wanted that to be present. So um, it was a very, very exciting uh, time for me because I, I did spend as much as I could with the seamstress. And she came here to Rideau Hall. She was sewing in my office. And, <laughs> you know, so uh, we tried to make it into a really uh, positive experience. Mm -hmm. And it, to my understanding, it was what, 50 hours of, of beading time? To, to, well, to she, do the yeah, outfit. She, she spent a lot of time because it was beadwork, it was uh, embroidery, it was uh, doing all kinds of, uh, even tufting with, uh, with a caribou hair. Um, so it took her a lot of time, but she also did it in between her regular jobs. <laughs> so she traveled with my garment, the one she was working on, to different communities in the north. So that became kind of an important part of uh, uh, having a garment of that, of that uh, nature, like reflecting my culture and my language and my identity. I think it was important to show the king that we were very much a part of Canada's, uh, not only history, but presently now, that we are still strong and still surviving quite well in, in our homeland, which is the Arctic region of the country. So a day of reverence, solemnity, and reflection, but not always the kind of reflection Buckingham Palace likes to hear. Because in Canada, many have been questioning the future role of the monarchy in this country, which includes a complicated past marked by colonialism, racism, and privilege. I want to say clearly, as I have said before, that each member's constitutional arrangement as republic or monarchy is purely a matter for each member country to decide. You know, I, I do want to talk about King Charles and, and reconciliation in a moment, but I, I want to take a step back, if, if you will, uh, perhaps of a bigger picture, because I, I appreciate the fact that King Charles speaks about modernizing the monarchy. But as you know, there continues to be a debate in this country as to whether or not 
the monarchy still serves a role. I think there was a lot of loyalty to Queen Elizabeth. Others don't know the path forward. Given this country likes to think itself a meritocracy, where does an institution based on birthright sit in, in that picture when it comes to Canada? Well, let me say, first of all, that uh, it's really important uh, for me to say that I'm appointed to support the king in his work. So that's what I do on a regular basis. Uh, yes, there have been um, you know, polls that have been taken that illustrate that there is a mixed feelings about the monarchy. And uh, I think it's really important to listen to those voices and to talk about it as a country. I don't know what the future holds for us, but it's, I think it's really important for Canadians uh, to talk about what it is they want, um, whether we continue with the, with the monarchist um, uh, constitution or whether we go uh, a different way is not something that I am uh, have an opinion about, but I also know that it's important for Canadians to talk about because we do we 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 do talk about institutions and historically how institutions were created, and we are an evolving country, and every day, every year. You know, we talk about issues that are affecting us. Um, it's really important to be part of a global international community. So part of that is brought in by the fact that we work with, with not just the United Kingdom, but also the other realm countries. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, there's a bit, you know, those are things that are important to talk about. Uh, but at this time, I feel we have a very strong, robust uh, system by being a monarchist society. So that's what I work with right now. Well, without a doubt, uh, King Charles, when he was Prince of Wales, uh, visited Canada on several occasions. Uh, if I'm not wrong, I think he visited Canada more than any other Commonwealth country. But as someone who's spoken with the king, who has met with the king, do you think he is someone whose values and aspirations match those of Canada's? Well, I think they do. Uh, a lot of the issues that he's passionate about, climate change, the environment, uh, nature, business, industry. I mean, he talks about all of those issues in a way that reflects the concerns that we have as a country, because there's a lot of common issues uh, at the international level about the issues that are being confronted by Canadians. And as we know, the, the king has always been very passionate about the issues that he's, uh, he prioritizes. Youth issues are important, culture is important. And I've had those discussions with him, especially related to reconciliation between uh, the indigenous peoples in Canada and other Canadians and how important that is for us and the process that we are engaged now uh, as a result of you know, the residential school findings, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report that has all brought us to a place where we seriously want to um, make things better between different peoples in the country. And it's also about the diversity of the country. There are many things that we should be talking to each other about. So in fairness, really to everybody, we need that space to be able to get to know each other better, to 
for me to know you and for you to know me and to then sh and create the kind of respect and 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 uh, relationships that we 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 should endeavor to promote as people uh, and i think that giving that space the respect and the ability to recognize and and see that different people have different cultures and languages and that it's our it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that that thrives as well in this country and that to me is called reconciliation uh, so equality is is a big part of it while he was Prince of Wales, His Majesty talked about his deep love for Canada. In fact, before becoming king, Charles made 18 official visits to this country. He even praised Canada at the Commonwealth Heads of Government in Rwanda back in 2022. In particular, this country's commitment to the process of reconciliation. In Canada recently, my wife and I were deeply touched to meet many of those engaged in the ongoing process of reconciliation indigenous and non-indigenous peoples reflecting honestly and openly on one of the darkest aspects of history. As challenging as that conversation can be, people across Canada are approaching it with courage and unwavering commitment, determined to lay a foundation of respect and understanding upon which a better future can be built. It seems to me that there are lessons in this for our Commonwealth family. You know, we're talking about Canadian attitudes towards the Crown, and when it comes to the Crown, it's a very different relationship with Indigenous peoples in this country. It's a special relationship, legally, historically. Could you talk a little bit about that? There's different um, uh, historical events that happened that relate to the relationship with the Crown. It's the, some of them are old treaties, some of them are friendship uh, treaties, uh, and they're directly related to the Crown. So if, and for us, even for the Inuit in Canada, we've got comprehensive land claims. Um, and also in the Constitution of Canada, we're recognized uh, as Indigenous peoples with inherent rights. So all that is, you know, directly connected uh, to the crown. So we would not want that to be just dismantled. I, I think that it's the relationship continues to be important, although there are differing views on how the crown relates to indigenous peoples, how the crown has or has not implemented the treaties. But basically when you see how the evolving relationship is, everybody continues to say that it's important to keep that relationship going. Uh, King Charles has spoken about reconciliation. He touched upon it a, a bit. Do you think he, he comprehends what that entails, given it is such a long history with, with such huge impacts? Does he understand, do you think, uh, the, the, the path of reconciliation and what he as king, his role in that? I think he's learning quite quickly. I think he knows that as the prince, when he came to Canada, he uh, visited a lot of the northern or indigenous communities. So he's had an opportunity to talk to many indigenous people. So he has that base to be able to understand where Canada is at this time in its relationship with indigenous peoples. 
I've had opportunities to speak to him about that. And we've talked about the revela revelations of the, of the unmarked graves that have come to the forefront over the last few years and, and how that has impacted uh, people directly uh, and, and to relive those experiences that they had in the early days when their children did not come home. So we, we explain those things uh, and talk about them. And when the indigenous leaders uh, were able to meet with His Majesty two days before the coronation, the leader of the Inuit uh, National Organization, the leader of the Métis Nation, and the leader of the Assembly of First Nations, they had the opportunity to talk to the king about those issues, about reconciliation, and how important it, it was for him to engage with Canadians on, the, on the, um, moving forward on reconciliation and developing a better relationship and understanding uh, in terms of what, what are the challenges that Indigenous people are facing in Canada. That conversation has started at this meeting. And I think over time, you know, we're, I think we're all learning mm -hmm. what reconciliation really is. I remember at the beginning of the discussion on reconciliation, when it started to become more of a national conversation, people wanted to know what project they could get involved in and where, well, when would it end? But there is no end to reconciliation. It's a lifelong commitment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it will continue to be like that for uh, forever, <laughs> because that's, that's life. I think life is, is also a part of what reconciliation is all about, like getting along with your neighbors, getting along with people that you don't really know who they are, getting to know them. And, and showing and, and, and exercising the respect that everybody deserves. As you speak about reconciliation, I'm, I'm thinking about right now the Pope's visit to Canada because certainly there was great pressure on the Pope to apologize for the Catholic Church's role in residential schools. So, so when we talk about reconciliation and the Crown, is an apology necessary? Is, is an apology from the King necessary to, to say I'm sorry for colonialism? Well, first of all, I would say that um, the apology that the Pope gave was something that leaders have worked on for many, many years. So it doesn't, you know, at the beginning of the process, people were just talking to, to the Vatican about having a better understanding of why an apology was needed. So at the beginning, that process was, uh, you know, something that probably the indigenous people knew more about it than the other, the, the, the organization that would give the, the apology. So it took many, many years. Whether there is to be an apology uh, with the Crown or not, uh, my position right now is, is to work with the, the, the palace and, and the king on in, increasing the relationship between the royal, the, the crown, and and indigenous peoples and, and other Canadians. I think what will happen if this dialogue with the leaders continues, they will start to get more involved in the discussion of issues that ha that are long historically have been there for a long time. 
so it's not really as a governor general for me to say there should or should not be an apology, but it'll be up to the leaders and the people that will talk to the, the king and his people about what the future may be. And I, it's hard to predict how that might turn out, but some leaders have called for an apology but it's at the very, very beginning stages of the, the, the discussion between King Charles and the, the indigenous people. So I'm sure there will be lots of opportunities to, to have more in-depth discussions. And where that goes, they will be the ones to talk to the, to the people that they represent and, and see how it can or cannot be done. Well, the convergence of all this historically is, is, is amazing to, to consider. Not only do we have a new king, we have the first Indigenous Governor General of, of Canada. You, you talk about your role in this. Um, do you think about the historical impact that you might be able to make with this office? Yes, I do, uh, on, almost on a regular basis. I've taken the position that when I was approached to be the Governor General, that for me to take this role is, would be significant because to understand the, 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 the role that, the, that the, the Crown plays with Indigenous peoples, um, it was very important for me to, to, to understand that when the three Indigenous leaders met with the King, um, I was in, very involved in, in getting that going. So. Um, but it's just one meeting. There will be hopefully many others. And the king is very interested in that process. And um, it was a very good dialogue that they had, uh, but it was the beginning of a new relationship with the king. But if King Charles has work to do on the path of reconciliation, so do most Canadians, as evidenced by the hateful words Mary Simon has endured on social media since becoming Governor General. The vitriol has become so bad that Simon has turned off the comments on all her accounts and chose to speak out publicly about the abuse. Before we're done here, as, as much as I'm enjoying the conversation we're having right now, I also want to talk a little bit about what I believe is a passion project for you, taking on uh, online abuse. Uh, why that issue? Why has it become so important for you? Well, when I was installed, there was a lot of different opinions out there about whether I should be the next GG uh, or the support I had as becoming the new Governor General. Um, so it was fairly light, but as time went on, there was more negativity happening uh, to the point where people started challenging my identity as an Indigenous person and that I had really no business being the Governor General. Um, so at that point, I, I really had a, a discussion with, uh, with, with the staff here. And it, I decided that this was um, a way for me to talk about what's going on on social media. Not, it wasn't, it's not only about me, it's a worldwide phenomena um, that is happening right now because I ha on the International Women's Day, 
I had a, a event that brought in all the women ambassadors from different, that represent different countries here. And each and every one of them had their own experience with social media. So now I think we're in this conversation, so what do we do about it? And it's to change the discourse and to, you know, slowly reduce the negative talk that's out there with more positive uh, ways of, of talking to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been uh, a person that truly believes in, in respectful conversation. Even when I disagree with somebody, uh, when you get angry and you say, call people's names, I don't think that gets you anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I've always believed that the conversation that I have with people that may not agree with my view or my opinion is something I have to deal with. And I think that's what we're doing now is I'm, we're starting to talk with ministers, with government uh, representatives, with industry, because industry is a big part of this. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no escaping the fact that when you look at online abuse, it tends to target women, yes. young girls, and identifiable, whether that is with a religious group or with a, with a racialized group, uh, it takes on a different aspect when you, when you consider the targets of this abuse. Uh, is that something that you've talked about with, with others? Oh yes, very much so. Uh, in fact, um, on International Women's Day, we talked about how women and girls are targeted much more than any other uh, gender. And um, it's, it's, it's vital that we not just like shut off our social media and say, I don't want to do anything. I, I'm walking away from this. To me, walking away is important for, for individual well-being. But in terms of a societal issue, you can't really walk away from it if we want to make change. So making change is having that conversation and seeing how we move forward on a, on a more positive, uh, this, uh, more positive uh, conversation. Because social media can be something very useful, mm -hmm. but, it can, but it's also a very negative uh, um, way of talking to someone because you're not face to face. So it's easier to say terrible things about individuals. But being face-to-face -face is, is a way of, I think, experiencing a more direct and more positive way of talking to someone. So we can't just start using social media as a way of talking to each other. We need to have more face-to-face -face, um, meetings. I know that the pandemic had a very uh, devastating impact on that part of our lives. Uh, but I think we can work to bring it back. When you think of this powerful office that you now hold, this very high-profile office, what, what type of reaction do you get when you speak to government leaders, business leaders, about addressing this issue? Are they open to it? Or are they really listening and promising action? Well, it's getting better. It, it's not always uh, like right away, oh, yes, I support what you're doing. But a lot of people do express their support. Uh, the government uh, ministers are, are, have been very open. In fact, you know, they uh, presented new legislation related to that. 
so it's, it's not, it's a conversation that isn't easy. It's a conversation that, that is needed, uh, but it, it requires um, us individuals to be able to tell our stories about what we've experienced so that that solidifies the fact that, that this is something that's happening to people, not just online. And uh, I think with, like I've always said that reconciliation is not something that is just done by certain individuals. It's a holistic approach and businesses and organizations and governments have to exercise reconciliation within their own environment, within their own organizations. And that's how it's gonna grow. And I think that social media, that the negativity of that part of it will also start to you know, go down if we can all work together on it. Excellency, thank you very much for the time today. Thank you for inviting me. Lovely to be here. That was my conversation with Her Excellency Mary Simon, Governor General of Canada at Rideau Hall in Ottawa. I'm Michael Serapio. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again on the next Profile.